0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Mirta Rivera and Emily Eaton. Public conversation and action emerging from the struggles faced by newcomers to Canada whether they are refugees or immigrants, documented or undocumented, on a temporary work or student visa, or on a path that might eventually lead to citizenship, tends to be concentrated in and on the country's larger cities. On a certain level, this makes sense. That's where a greater proportion of immigrants and refugees tend to live, after all. But while there may be proportionately fewer immigrants and refugees living in many smaller centers, Those who do live in such places have similar constraints, hassles, and even violence organized into their lives by the immigration system, and face similar kinds of racism and other marginalizations to those living in the big cities. Indeed, less attention to the issues and less political power in those areas may mean that things are, in some ways, worse. Not only that. The differences in context might change people's experiences in qualitative ways, and mean that people's choices when it comes to survival and to fighting back collectively have to look different, and approaches devised in Toronto or Vancouver may have to be carefully adapted. Take, for instance, Regina, Saskatchewan. Earlier in 2017, after the wave of protests across not just the United States but also Canada, in response to anti-immigrant and other measures taken by the incoming Trump administration, a number of Regina social justice activists decided it was a prime moment to turn that attention and momentum into a local campaign. Regina Access Without Fear asked the municipal government to commit to policies and practices that would make it easier for immigrants and refugees to access services provided by the city without fear of negative repercussions related to their migration status. Similar kinds of campaigns, often under the banner of Sanctuary City, have occurred across North America over the last few decades, with a resurgence of interest in them on both sides of the border after the election of Donald Trump. The circumstances for such a campaign are somewhat different in Regina than they might be in, say, Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal. For instance, it's not clear how many undocumented people live in Regina, but it doesn't appear to be a large number. Municipal services already don't ask for immigration documents, or at least they aren't supposed to. And unlike some Canadian cities, there has not been a high-profile instance of police, transit police, school officials, or other service providers reporting people to the Canada Border Service Agency and getting them deported. Indeed, one of the primary responses that Regina Access Without Fear heard from politicians and mainstream pundits was the claim, we don't need that here. The activists in the campaign did not agree with this assessment. A small and uncertain number of undocumented people is not the same as none. Policies that don't instruct service providers to ask for immigration documents and don't compel them to communicate with CBSA are not the same as policies which forbid such a thing. And most importantly, the activists realize that there is a sizable population of people in the city who are not undocumented, but whose immigration status is in some way precarious temporary foreign workers, students, refugee claimants, and so on, and that often people with precarious status have considerable fear about accessing the services to which they are entitled. Such fear may or may not reflect an actual risk, but from conversations in the impacted communities, it was clear that it is a definite barrier that some immigrants and refugees face. The made-in-Regina version of an access-without-fear policy that the campaign demanded of city council was therefore focused on policies, trainings for service providers, and public education that would address the fears of people with precarious immigration status. After developing the text of a motion, the campaign then obtained numerous endorsements from organizations and from high-profile individuals in the community, and won the support of a city councilor who agreed to introduce the motion. As well, there was extensive public debate and lobbying, and though there was relatively little right-wing xenophobic backlash, the campaign still needed to counter a range of objections and concerns in the media and through the night of delegations that spoke at city council. Alas, despite a well-waged campaign, the motion was not passed. Along with ongoing reluctance to recognize the need, the context of harsh austerity imposed by the Saskatchewan provincial government made the city reluctant to take on even the modest cost that the measure would have involved. Though the city also adopted an administrative undertaking to engage in a few of the measures that the policy would have called for, the activists were disappointed that such a strong campaign was ultimately unsuccessful. Mirta Rivera is a community activist who came to Canada in 1975 as a political refugee from Chile. Emily Eaton is a professor of Geography and Environmental Studies at University of Regina, whose research interests include immigration issues, and she too is a community activist. Rivera and Eaton speak with me about the Regina Access Without Fear campaign, and about the lessons it can offer to activists and organizers in other small cities. We spoke by Skype to Phone from Regina.
1: My name is Emily Eaton. I come from Saskatchewan. I come from Saskatoon. I've been living in Regina for nine years now. I'm an associate professor at the University of Regina in geography and environmental studies. Immigration issues have long been sort of central to my interests. And a few years ago, there were you might have heard of the story of the two Nigerian students who were in sanctuary for over a year in church basements in Regina, avoiding a deportation order for having worked for three weeks at a Walmart in town. I was active on that campaign and some of the people that were part of that group have also been active on the Access Without Fear campaign.
2: My name is Mirta Rivera. I came to Canada in 1975 as a political refugee. I have worked with people who are new to Canada, either as immigrants are coming by choice and refugees, we don't. We just come because we need to. The reason that I think that it is in my heart to say the things that nobody talks about that happens to people when they come to Canada this beautiful country, but the experiences are not pleasurable when people are ignorant and that they are full of racism and hate. And so it is my need to speak up of what I've seen, what I live, and just make this place as welcoming as possible
1: Regina Access Without Fear was a group that came together over a single issue, and that was introducing a motion at City Council and pushing to have it passed around a policy of access without fear so that all people within Regina, regardless of immigration status, can access city services without fear of repercussions on their immigration status. In Regina, there's a perception that the city doesn't receive many new immigrants each year. But if you look at the reality, it is a small community. There's around 200,000 residents in Regina. Until 2014, with the crash of oil prices, there had been an economic boom in the province starting in the mid-2000s. And during that time, there were actually a large number of people that were brought into the province through the temporary foreign work program. And there was a provincial program, the immigrant nominee program, that provided a uh, difficult and long, but certainly a path out of temporary foreign worker status and towards residency. And changes to the temporary foreign worker program that were brought in under the Harper regime have made it so that we suspect, and this is also what Migrante Alberta talked about, is that a number of temporary foreign workers who have now been in Canada for more than three years and have no more capacity to renew their worker visas and the path to residency has been impeded. Those people potentially are going underground now. So I think there was always this conception in Regina, and this certainly was borne out with our meetings with even immigrant settlement agencies who all insisted that there just aren't any undocumented folks in town and it's not a problem in Regina, that in fact, maybe it will become a problem. And certainly we know of a few cases of people going underground and possibly people who are working in neighboring Alberta as well, looking for work underground in Saskatchewan. But given these concerns that people had, that there aren't a large number of undocumented people living in Saskatchewan, what we focused on in our campaign was this idea of precarious status. So the city of Regina says that all of its services are already open to all residents, regardless of immigration status. But the point that we wanted to make is that there are a number of people who consider their own immigration status as precarious. So those might be people who have less than the full rights of citizenship, whether that's people on temporary foreign worker visas, or students who are on temporary visas, or even permanent residents who might themselves feel like their status is precarious. It's those people who are really fearful of accessing city services. So our campaign was less about undocumented folks, per se, and more about people's own perception of their status as precarious and how that got in the way of accessing city services, which by practice are actually open to
2: all residents. My thought is, though, that the group that I've seen that is the most vulnerable to this is the women who come here sponsored by their husbands or the man that promised to marry them. And so they're so dependent on their status. And the man has all the power to say anything, and they can be deported, and they use that. Like my experience of working in a shelter for abused women and children. I saw so many women going through the terror of coming to Canada because they wanted to have a better life and they wanted to marry that man and they ended up being abused by him and his family. And the threat was that if you tell anybody, you'll be deported. And uh, their status was not clear. So I've seen lots of that. I also have seen in my own community, because I come from Chile, that the women don't have the language as much as the men who have to learn because they have to earn a living. So they depend on that man, and they depend on those children, and they become totally disconnected. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. So I know many of them who are homebound, who are abused, and they don't dare to just say anything because... Where do they go? And the threat is, even if they came with a status as a refugee, that she can be sent back home. And there's a lot of stigma on that and there's a lot of fear because how do you access help in here? How do you access a safety net that it is for everybody? So it is this dangling power over them saying, you're nothing, you don't belong here, and you're under my control. And I have seen other people who are coming here right now who don't have any documentation and they've been told if you go anywhere, they're going to ask you for your papers and you're going to be deported. And this is being told to them by translators. Translators have that power. They can say anything. You don't know their language and they can just meet, guide people. And the men also are vulnerable because they can get paid under the table, but they're abused with the work. But the hours of work, what do they do, and when do they go out to ask for help?
0: How did Regina Access Without Fear initially come together?
1: I had already mentioned that there were a group of folks in town who were interested in immigration issues through the case of these Nigerian students who had been in sanctuary for over a year. Then there were attempts by some people on campus to put together a group that might push for a sanctuary campus, and that kind of fizzled out. And then there was Trump's Muslim ban and some protests in Regina that were really well attended and there was a lot of enthusiasm and momentum. And out of those protests, some people arranged a meeting of folks who could consider what to do next around these issues. And so when we went to that meeting, we decided as a group that one thing that we'd like to do was push for an access without fear policy, knowing that the moment was a good political opportunity to do so. Regina is a sort of small community. So the left in Regina is fairly small. So it encompassed, you know, some of the usual people we see at other types of social justice causes, but also brought in some other folks as well who hadn't been part of that scene, too. So the protest had been really widely attended by different groups in the community. And at that initial meeting, there were just a large number of people that we'd never seen really active, at least in the typical social justice left causes that were out at that meeting. Some of them we lost along the way, but it certainly started out as a fairly diverse group.
0: And what did it look like going from that initial gathering to having a plan of action?
1: The thing that took us really a long time was to develop the access without fear motion. We had really a lot of debate about what would be in the motion. We looked at no one is illegal templates for these motions, and we tried to tailor it to the realities in Regina. Again, one of those realities, I think, was a focus less on undocumented folks and more widely on people with precarious status. And in crafting the motion, we set out to meet with different organizations who might have some input, have something to say about the motion itself. One of the first organizations we approached was the city police. We had a very positive meeting with them actually. We heard from them that they do perceive people's fear of accessing police as an impediment to increasing safety in the community and that folks are shy about phoning the police if they perceive their own immigration status as vulnerable. And we also met with other organizations in town like the Open Door Society and the Immigrant Women's Center And these organizations, it was interesting, didn't want to have a lot to do with us. They did give us feedback on the motion, but at the same time as we were meeting with these organizations, we were also asking if they would endorse the motion. And a lot of these organizations get funding from the city, and they also have charitable status. So for those reasons, they were really reticent to endorse the motion itself because they were unsure how city council would perceive it and they didn't want any blowback from city council and they didn't want to be perceived, at least to be engaged in advocacy work. But certainly we did talk with them and we took their feedback into account in crafting the motion. Then we were interested in beefing up our endorsement list. So we targeted people that included people with high profiles in the community. So the president of the University of Regina signed on The Catholic Archdiocese. We did target faith groups as well, and just a host of organizations in the community just to give the motion some weight. And from there, then we were interested in getting endorsers to write letters to council to tell them why exactly they supported the motion, and then curating allegations for the night of the council meeting, so the presentations to council, making sure we had really strong presentations. We had also met with each counselor in advance. So we knew kind of what the range of concerns of the councillors were. And those were, right from the beginning, this idea that there was no need for the motion. Regina's services are already open to everybody. So we knew that we had to present a really strong case around unearthing the fear that did exist and proving to council that whether it may be unfounded or not, it is nevertheless real fear that people are acting upon in the community.
0: And Myrta? How did you initially connect with Regina Access Without Fear?
2: I have heard about the group, and then I was asked if I could relate my own experience or whatever I wanted to say of the things that I've seen in the city, being that I came as a refugee from Chile. And that's how I got involved, and I thought this is the group that. It is people that I know, and it's people that I have created trust with, and I see every time that we have any social justice groups or social injustices in the city that we all support each other. And that was my opportunity to say that is beautiful, is everything you want to say, but it doesn't matter how accessible the counselors wanted to say that the services are and they're available. I'm still afraid of the police. I'm still afraid to open my mouth and say, there's a crime over there because that's where I come from. And many of the people that are in this precarious status, they have those experiences. We watch over our shoulder. We want to know that, yeah, you're not going to just turn me into the police or I'm going to be tortured or i going to be in jail or I'm going to disappear because that's the reality in the countries that we come from as refugees and we don't talk about how the individuals are, are the staff, the frontline staff and the services for the city of Regina, they're racist and they treat people as less than and you don't get the respect that other people who are Caucasian receive for example, when I go to any place here in Regina, if I go with my partner, she's perceived as a white person, they ask her what I want. I mean, I've been living here since 75. I know what I want. I'm a grown woman. And I've seen that done to many of the people that are different race, different color, and the accent, too, Do we have different accents. And I've seen lately how people who they are Muslims and how people insult them how in the services they don't even talk to them. They just ignore them. They make them invisible. That's the worst. Those are the talks that we need to have with all the people in the city, especially the councils. So
0: in these conversations, with that response you got so often of, that doesn't happen here, we don't need this, why do you think so many of the people who said that defaulted to therefore we shouldn't have a policy as opposed to but it can't hurt so let's pass it anyway.
2: How I saw it at the meeting when we did the presentations on that is just to turn everything around how much will it cost. One of the administrators came up with the $200,000 cost so I don't know where they were getting these numbers because they were out of thin air. I don't think he was presenting documentation on any information, how much will it cost? How much will it cost to give your people training and sensitize them to how is it how to treat people with respect?
1: And one of the things that we considered once we found out all this information was that initially we were trying to spin it. As like, look, the city is already doing this. We're such a wonderful leader and other cities have to adopt these motions and change their practices. And so maybe the mayor of Regina should come out in support of this motion and say, look, we're going to formalize a practice that we're already doing and we're way ahead of the curve because we're doing it. So we tried to frame it in that way at the beginning, hoping that maybe the mayor himself would take some leadership And I think you're right. Like, we perceive no real downside to passing this. If you're Mm -hmm. saying that you're already doing it, the police have no problems with the motion. It seems like just a really easy thing to do to send a positive message and everything. And although in our campaign we didn't have a lot of the backlash that you've seen in other jurisdictions around right-wing anti-immigrant sentiment flooding city councillors, so it really left me perplexed about why these councillors wouldn't want to do it. And there was, as Myrta said, the issue of the monetary cost, which should be pretty little if you're not changing your practice. We were asking for an education campaign and for some training for city staff so that they're aware of these issues. But I think fundamentally they didn't want to implement this, and that was what we saw in the city council meeting. They were grasping at reasons to use for not passing the motion. And we did such a good job in the campaign, I think, of dispelling every single one of their reasons that they had for saying no to the motion, that in the end they couldn't vote it down. Instead, they referred it to other levels of government, to the provincial and federal governments, with the excuse that, well, we're already doing this in Regina, but all these folks have presented really compelling cases tonight. So obviously other levels of government need to get with the program as well. So I found it really Mm. sneaky and cynical what they did.
2: Yeah,
0: that's the bug. What, if anything, is Regina Access Without Fear going to be doing now?
1: One thing that was, I guess, a small consolation from the meeting is that one of the councillors, Councillor Young, put forward an undertaking. The undertaking doesn't have to be voted on, but it has been adopted by city administration and the undertaking directs city administration to do some of the things actually that our motion called for. So we won't have an access without fear policy, but the city administration is going to work on seeing what they can do on messaging and on training of city staff to make sure that people in the community understand that they can access services. So there is that small consolation. Again, it wasn't what we wanted at all, but that councillor, Is interested in working with folks from our group, and there are some people from our group who've signed on to continue to work on the undertaking.
0: So, for the benefit of people in other parts of the country, particularly other small cities like Regina, what lessons would you take from the Regina Access Without Fear campaign?
1: Number one, I think actually we ran a really strong campaign. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, our city council is notoriously just sort of interested in real estate and business. And so in some ways, I'm not sure that if we'd done even any more that it would have passed. So I don't want people to see the campaign as a failure, even though um, the motion itself failed. But I think one of the strong points about our campaign and our approach was to open it up again to this idea of precarious status and not just undocumented folks. Even in cities where you do have undocumented folks being reported by city staff or whatever, even in cities like that, I think it would be advantageous to widen the scope of the access without fear to include people with precarious status more broadly. And then I think maybe in other cities, there's less need to convince councillors, for example, that there is a problem or that there is fear. But one of the things that we found really effective was once we had the police on record saying that fear does impact their ability to conduct their policing, that's a really authoritative voice. We also had the Firefighters Union, who wrote a letter and endorsed the motion, saying that when they attend fires, that sometimes people are fearful about even letting them know how the fire was started because of what they perceive as possible impacts on their immigration status. I liked the approach that we took of having endorsing organizations, and those organizations actually did quite a lot for us, more than just a yes or no endorse. They got quite active in the whole process, and some of the members from those organizations are now helping with the implementation of the undertaking.
2: The campaign was so great, and it was an opportunity for so many people that we work in our own groups isolated or maybe connected once in a while we all connected in something that is so important for all of us the city councils and the city council here in Regina we need to talk to them about money and we need to talk to them that this wouldn't cost you this will cost you this much and be clear among ourselves that this is the cost because they put the money financial i don't know weapon if you want because it was pretty powerful That was a way of justifying in front of the audience because this is all a performance. That it was money and they were so careful about not overspending. And then the other hand, we were spending the city budget and things like a new stadium that is not needed. So we need to be really clear about how much will it cost them.
1: And we had the unfortunate circumstance of probably Saskatchewan's most austere budget in the last 30 years, having been introduced just months before we introduced our motion. And one of the things that the provincial government did was they took a lot of money away from municipalities. I mean, certainly, as Myrta said, there's political decisions about where the city is spending its money. And we didn't think this would cost very much but they had extra clout on that argument because of these really rough fiscal times that we're in.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Mirta Rivera and Emily Eaton about the Regina Access Without Fear campaign. To learn more about their work, search for Regina Access Without Fear on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows,